0: Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, podcast 419. So we go into the boomerang effect why people resist you, why they say no, why you're an anti sweater I'm glad you're here, my maximizers, as you learn to maximize your income, your life, your relationships, your ability to do everything a little bit better. Excited to have you here. As always, tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. We're on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, iHeartRadio, under Maximize Your Influence. Expect to have a good week this week. The Power of Expectations, one of the 12 laws of persuasion in Maximum Influence. The Power of Expectations is real, all part of the self-persuasion. Hopefully you're achieving your dreams, your goals, your aspirations. I've had a good week. I've been doing a lot of training this week. Kind of interesting on dealing with conflict how to give feedback, dealing with mean people, those people that intimidate, those bullies, how do you influence them? Well, the biggest thing is to realize that they probably don't have very many persuasion tools. They're missing some filters or that's their norm. That's how they grew up. That's how they saw business getting done. I've talked about it before. Check out the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Also the home of the free book, Maximum Influence. That's a new edition. Just pick up a little shipping and handling. And, of course, take your Persuasion IQ assessment. Of course, everything you need to know is there. Contact me on that site or at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Housekeeping's out of the way. Let's get into the persuasion blunder. Don't, don't, don't. Now, today, we're talking about the boomerang effect. When persuasion goes south and what you're doing isn't working, it's having the opposite effect. For example, there is a website out there that provides calendar services. And it's a pretty good service. I like to use it. I've used a couple different ones. And it's now mandating what things I can have on what dates, meaning they decide what this month is. This is national fill-in-the-blank month. And a lot of them are good. A lot of them I would follow. A lot of them I believe in, but they force me to have them. I can't remove them. They're telling me what to do and what to believe, even though Many of the things I believe in, they forced me, they made me. Think about children and teenagers here. Now I want to cancel. Maybe it's my teenage brain, I don't know, but being forced. I mean, this is stuff I'd probably do on my own, but they're forcing me, making me. That is a huge challenge in the persuasion process. Or when you get a new computer, it has all that preloaded software that reminds you every 30 days, oh, you're to renew, it's going to expire, you're going to do this, all those pop-up windows. Now, it's got to work because they keep doing it, but it drives me crazy and I do the opposite. I'm not going to renew something that's going to remind me every 30 days. I never asked for this. Is that petty? Maybe. <laughs> well, that's mean. That's part of the boomerang effect that has the opposite effect. Or we could also call it the Romeo and Julia effect, right? No, can't take them. They're evil. They're bad. up, uh, fell in love because you told them not to do it. And I don't know if this is the same category, someone that's been sending me a lot of emails. You know, I enjoy spam, looking at spam, seeing the trends. And they have an icon to the left that flashes in my email. It just drives me crazy. And I delete it and I am subscribed Because <laughs> it was just crazy annoying. I get it. Grabbing attention can be good. It probably works. But sometimes it can backfire. We're going to talk about that during the show. So that's the blunder. What can you take away from that? Reminders are good automatically making things happen for people can be good because they forget about it sometimes. It's not that big a deal to them. But once you cross that threshold of annoying too much, too many reminders, too many pop-ups, it can definitely have the opposite effect. So there's involvement and engagement. Then there's the just outright, you're making me mad, you're out of here. All right, (laughs) there we go. That is your blunder. Which brings us to the geeky scholarly article. Zoom, have you heard of that? (laughs) I've clocked in, I think, 32 hours of Zoom training. We've talked about Zoom fatigue. I've talked about how I hate it. It's almost not worth doing anymore. You know, I, I do enjoy it sometimes, but it's not the same as being in front of people. So it's coming back, but not as fast as we want. So here's something interesting, because the trend, even when COVID goes away, maybe is away, I don't know, people have differing opinions on that one. We're still going to do a lot more Zoom meetings. Hopefully more face-to-face, but Zoom is here to stay. So this article is on, do Zoom meetings kill creativity? Interesting. So this comes from the U.S. News and World Report, Dr. Norton, the Scientific Journal of Nature, and Columbia Business School. So they talk about Zoom meetings, the new norm, and I get it, you don't have to travel, you're in your home, you don't have to put pants on. Well, at least you hopefully have shorts or something on, but anyway... <laughs> It's different. It's cheaper. It's more effective. It's quick. It's fast. But they say it may limit employees' capacity for creative thinking. Now, in the past, I've talked about Zoom fatigue. You know, you're looking at a mirror, big heads of other people. It just takes more energy, especially as a presenter, I've noticed. Even as a participant, it takes more energy. So what they did is some experiments with workers in several countries. What they found, basically, is people were not as creative, couldn't generate ideas when they were communicating by Zoom versus person to person. Now they did find that these virtual meetings didn't hurt your ability to make decisions. And I'm gonna add it doesn't hurt your ability to maintain a relationship, but it does hurt your ability to start a relationship and your creativity. Why? Well, Professor Brooks from Columbia says one of the major differences is the physical environment. One, you're probably alone in your office by yourself staring at a monitor versus being in the same room with coworkers. You're looking around, you're looking out the window, you're looking at each other. And he says, when it comes to creative thinking, wandering is good. Now, let me add to this. I agree for two reasons, the eyes. The way we gather information is based on eye movement. You know, visual people tend to look up, auditory people tend to look the side, kinesthetic people tend to look down the way we gather thoughts. Even when I teach detecting deception, eye movement helps us know what the brain is doing. Is it making something up? Is it recalling a idea? Is it recalling a memory, right? So that's the first thing. I'm also gonna add just the synergy in the room, bodies in the room. I know as a presenter, keynote speaker, seminar leader, whatever it is, the more people that are in the room hungry, wanting to learn, the easier it is for me. That energy, the creativity, the synergy Just the brainstorming all works so much better when you're in a room full of people. I don't have the science behind it. I just know that's true time and time again. Whether you're speaking, you're brainstorming, you're trying to be creative, people in a room, something happens with our synergy, our energy, our brainwaves. I'm not here to explain it. If you can, I'll have you on the show. I will interview you on why that works. So think about it. When you need to brainstorm to be more creative, fill up the room. They contrast that with this video conference where your coworker is, I don't know how many miles away, 2D instead of 3D, and the little box on your screen. Because even if you look away for a second, they're out of the room. They're gone. You've left that share environment. So people confine their visual focus to the computer screen, which narrows their cognitive focus and puts restrictions on your brain. Now, there's nothing wrong with that laser focus a lot of times, right? These virtual meetings, we've got to focus, we've got to make a decision, we've got to solve this. Well, you can't be creative, you can't veer into tangents, think of other things, to think big, to brainstorm. And they did this in five different countries where they tested people in person and virtually on who is the most creative? Who could come up with the most creative idea? I believe it was a product for a frisbee or something like that. But they had five minutes for a great innovative idea and came up with much better ideas. Something to do with their eyes, something to do with the synergy, whatever you wanna call it, it's been proven. So, again, okay for decision making, quick meetings, but creativity, brainstorming, synergy. And I'm gonna add to creating lasting relationships is not good for Zoom. So there you have it, the geeky scholarly article. Take it for what it's worth. Understand, Zoom has its strengths and weaknesses, as does everything else. So now it's time for listener podcast email. Oh, boy. Remember when I use your email on the show, you get the gold membership for InfluenceUniversity.com for free. Send it in. That's the home of the advanced influence, persuasion, negotiation, and mindset techniques. This comes from Parker from Singapore. He says, Kurt, thanks for the podcast. Enjoying it, I'm persuading with power. He says, It seems when I'm tempted to persuade my family or coworkers to different points of view, to open their eyes to different beliefs, different thoughts. They hold on tighter, and it seems like they believe their beliefs more. What am I doing wrong? (laughs) Well, let's talk about it. I mentioned it earlier, that boomerang effect, why people resist you. We can call it anti-conformity. We can call it psychological reactance. We can call it dissuasion, but I call it anti-suasion. Basically, what you're doing is repelling people, causing resistance. The boomerang effect is they do the exact opposite or hold on tighter to the thing that you were trying to convince them not to do, not to think, not to believe. So it's basically those unattended consequences or reactions when you're attempting to persuade someone. They go the opposite way of where you want them to go. They hold on tighter. And a lot of times it's just how you present it, how you say it. Maybe you're saying a little too much too soon. You're not persuading them how they want to be persuaded. Maybe you're a little too aggressive or maybe you're just plain annoying with the way you're trying to persuade. A bond could be true. Open up. And remember, a lot of times it's human nature, just like people forcing me to believe and do different things. I just delete it, don't want to do it. And it could be the right thing to do, but that's called reactance. Just like if you put five-year-olds in a room with 20 toys. All right, there we go, 19, don't play with that one. Don't play with that one. The other 19, they approach the one they're not supposed to play with underneath a piece of plexiglass, they approach it three times faster. You tell college students, oh, adult content Well, don't want you to read it. Or, yeah, that's too controversial. We should be talking about it. They want to talk about it more. Romeo and Juliet. So big picture, as people talk about censoring and what is truth, the big picture is when you censor something, don't let somebody look at something, read something, do something. They want to do it more. They believe it more. So the reality is sometimes when people censor and do those type of things, it gives it more value, more credibility. Maybe fewer people see it. But then more people know it's been censored. They want to see it more. They want to believe it more. Human nature. It's just how it is. Every five year old ever, that's how they're programmed. Again, like I mentioned, great example the Romeo and Juliet effect. No, no, bad, no, bad, evil, no. Ooh, want it more. Let's see. Is that true? Check it out. Uh, Followed love. Don't date that person ever again. Uh, They want to date them more. It's just how it is. You have to be very careful with that reactance, that scarcity. Because people want it more. Adam and Eve, go ahead, just don't touch that one. <laughs> That's the one they approached, human nature. So when people feel backed into a corner, or you say, "I'm today I'm going to persuade you, or they feel manipulated, they want to regain control. And this happened when recycling was getting started. No, I'm not going to do it, too expensive. What are they thinking? What's going on? People opposed it. So increasing taxes, they were forced to do it. In some places, some states, not going to name names, Oregon, neighbors would go through your trash to see if you've recycled. That doesn't help either. When you're forced, coerced, your neighbors are going against you. Yeah, a lot of things wrong with that. I'll have to address that one another time. So if you want to persuade somebody and not have the boomerang effect, you have to do it in a way that makes them feel good about themselves. Here's the research. Hopefully you're sitting down. The research shows us that people have a tendency to care more about feeling good than being accurate. What's the saying? Was it Dale Carnegie that says? I guess there's some discrepancy about who, but it's a great saying. A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. You could win the argument, back them in a the corner, show you all the proof and studies you want. But if that makes me feel bad, I'm not going to change my mind. People need to feel good with the information that you are offering. So hopefully you got that. People are more concerned about feeling good about themselves than being accurate. So if your message doesn't align with their beliefs, they're going to find the opposite. The human brain needs to be right. That's a whole law of persuasion of dissonance. Smokers. You can yell and show them the science and the studies. That doesn't seem to work. I remember being in Thailand, talked to some of the locals We were hanging out, a lot of smokers. And this one guy was kind of boasting. He was showing me the cigarette package that actually had a picture of lung cancer on it. It was nasty and ugly. And he was laughing. He's like, yeah, they're making this up. They're trying to scare us. It doesn't work. I'm like, buddy, I'm pretty sure that's true. (laughs) But it was too much. And that's the thing with Fear. If the dose of fear is too strong, it has the opposite effect. So I'm okay with using fear strategically in persuasion and influence, but say you take a 16-year-old whose frontal lobe is not developed yet, and that's a whole other podcast, and you show them videos of cars crashing and death and bodies in the street and blood, they laugh. They're like, I don't think that's funny. They laugh, it's too much, that doesn't happen to them, it happens to other people, it's not real, must be made up, like, no. Then on the flip side, 85% of high school seniors rate their driving skills as above average, there's a little denial thing there going on. So part of that, with the fear's too strong, pushed a little too hard, maybe they feel manipulated, or people's behaviors or thoughts or ideas get censored, they want it more. They will engage in those behaviors more. Or sometimes it's the way we ask. I think it was University of Boulder. Try to get the grass to grow. Let's go green, get the grass to grow. Make it look beautiful. Put up signs, don't walk on the grass. Whoa, 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 you can't tell me what to do. And the students did. They walked on the grass. Don't walk on the grass. They changed it to please give earth a chance. That's verbal packaging. We've talked about that. And that changed the game. So bottom line, whenever a person feels that they're being restricted, that they're losing their freedom, their ideas are being opposed or shown that their ideas are bad, they develop a stronger belief towards it. And a lot of times that boomerang effect, it's stronger than before. They hold on tighter than before. You back someone to a corner prove they're wrong, they're going to come out kicking and screaming and hold on to it tighter. So any message that's too strong, think about government or public messages that are too forceful, too manipulative, not effective, have the opposite effect, because people feel that they're being forced to do something they don't want to do, or their freedom is being taken away, the boomerang effect. So you're like, well, that's silly. It's just human nature. Now, some personalities just do what other people say. That's how they're programmed. Some cultures are that way, too. If the government says it, you do it. If someone else says it, you do it. Depends on culture, personality, a variety of things, but it's a real thing. You've already seen it. I don't have to prove this to you because you've tried to persuade people. And they held on tighter, stronger, and hated you more. <laughs> so you have to do it the right way. So let me give you a couple of solutions. First things, don't do the sucker punch. Check that out in the archives when you've done some research. They have no idea it exists. You're talking about it. You come out of the blue with this thing they haven't thought of, they haven't heard of. Of course, they're going to resist it. You think it's this great statistic to study. But if they haven't heard it, it's new. It's coming out of the blue. Without giving them time to think about it or research it, that could have the opposite effect. I'd also recommend foot in the door, meaning persuading in small increments is more persuasive than one big event. If I was trying to persuade someone not to smoke, I wouldn't have this big intercept, yell, you're bad, you're evil, cancer, look how much it's going to cost you. But if I could just sit down a little time, ask questions, you know, how does that make you feel? How's your health? What's the one thing you want to accomplish? What's the one thing you want to do? How could together we could be healthier this year? Maybe it's five, six meetings a little bit at a time. They thought about it based on your questions. That is true persuasion. And it might be, is it possible? Do you think that could be the issue? What do you think? What would you do? Lead them down the path to persuade themselves. Because we always know when you help someone persuade themselves, it's always going to stick. They said you're trying to persuade them back into a corner, prove them they're wrong. Uh, Resistance, boomerang effect. And part of it too is changing your mindset. You're never 100% correct. Your beliefs aren't 100% correct. Yeah, they are. Are they? When you show somebody that you're 100% correct and they're 100% wrong, uh, dissonance, disconnect, boomerang effect, open up. Maybe you're only 90% correct, 40% correct, 60% correct. But if you come across that you're 100% correct, which uh, I don't think is possible, maybe it is, and they're 0% correct, that's resistance be open. Maybe they have different ideas, different thoughts, different things that they're doing that you have not thought about it. And I talked about this in Maximum Influence. Under one of the laws, dissonance, is that when you stretch somebody's rubber band too far, it snaps back at you. When you prove them they're wrong, back into a corner, you have to be careful. That's where they come after you, the persuader. When people are in denial, they deny there's a problem or they attack the source. So be very careful with the boomerang effect. Maybe you're to persuade a little at a time, lead them down their own path to persuade themselves with questions. Don't do the sucker punch where you surprise them out of the blue and show them that you truly care. This is done that you care out of empathy, not out of contempt that you think that they're dumb. That will always resist you. And that's a big challenge right now. Well, you're canceled. You're dumb. You're stupid. You're not a valuable human being. That's contempt, but they sense that it's going to be the boomerang effects. But if you could open up, be concerned, have empathy, you truly care, you persuade them a little bit at a time, you help them persuade themselves with questions, now you're talking, you can influence, you can persuade and make a difference. So there you have it, another one for the books. That's Maximize Your Influence Podcast 419. We're also on Pinterest and Instagram under Max Influence. Again, I said it, but I'll say it again. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. I still have a little bribe for you. I need your research, I need your help. Go to PresentationIQ.com, answer 10 questions for me, and let's beg your strengths and weaknesses as you present. Are you charismatic? Are you persuasive or are you just a data dumper? Are you just informing or influencing? And for doing that, I will give you my training on how to create the perfect persuasive presentation, step-by-step videos, the whole bit to take your presentation, your charisma, your influence to the next level. Help me out. I'm going to help you out. It'll make a huge difference. So check it out at presentationiq.com. So as I wrap it up, take something you've learned from the podcast and quit doing the boomerang effect, the anti-suasion, the dissuasion. Become more influential. Become magnetic where people want to be around you. They want to be persuaded by you. So take something master it, use it, put it in your influence toolbox, and go out and persuade with power.